Hello humans of triathlon and welcome to the Hot Podcast, where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon, one human, one story at a time, with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans, through real, authentic, raw and enjoyable conversations with triathletes from all around the globe and from all walks of life. I'm Swapnil Chauhan here with my co-host Charles Hunk and Radmom Robin, along with an amazing guest. Today's hot podcast guest is relatively new to the sport of triathlon, only doing her first race a few short years ago. However, she has already qualified for and competed in the 70.3 World Championships. But that is not what makes her story amazing. Despite all of the physical feats she has accomplished, her greatest victory has been within herself. A veteran of the Australian Armed Forces, her tours of duty, especially in the intense combat environment of Iraq, left invisible yet lasting scars. She has wrestled with the demons of depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And with the help of the sports of cycling and triathlon, she has come out the other side with lasting insights into the importance of living right here in the moment. Now as she sets her sights on her first full Ironman, she's here to share with us a message of resiliency and healing through the sport of triathlon that we all love. Please welcome to the Hot Podcast, Sarah Watson. Hi Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Hi, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you turned through your story to me a few days ago and you know it's just another inspiring example of how the sport has given someone the strength in their lives to be able to fight the good fight, you know. So we're just excited to learn more about you and your journey and be able to share that with everyone okay, listening. Okay, great. To start things off, how about you take us back to your childhood and schooling years? Um, tell us where and how you were raised. Uh, I know you were into sports, so which ones in particular, and what do you love about them? And you know, just your path till joining sure. them. Yeah, well, I, I grew up in a country town in New South Wales, in Australia, um, little town called Yass. And back in the eighties, when I was living there, um, there wasn't too much to do other than sport so um or outside school so my um my mum and dad were pretty supportive of enrolling us or myself especially in um the swimming club and um yeah summer was pretty much spent at the outdoor 50 meter pool in Yass and um yeah from the age of about 10 I started the swimming squad and uh, yeah formed good friendships there and we had these little competitions called the shine shields and uh, so my competing you know at a very very low level um, as a young kid started back then and got the taste for you know racing and uh, competing and trying the best I could do in a in a race sort of setting so yeah I guess I've been involved in um sport my whole childhood because yeah as a country girl that was one of the only things to entertain us <laughs> um so I'm, I'm really grateful for that actually so yeah yeah from squad I met other kids um, who were doing other sports and I got into gymnastics and did a bit of gymnastics competing and um and that's also gave me a bit of awareness about um, how the body works, which is always a good thing, and how to look after injuries and things like that. So all that stuff is good foundation building for, you know, growing up uh, through my teens. And um, you know, now it served me well, I think, too, just understanding how the body works, which is, is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Went through schooling in Yass and then at the uh, end of year 10, which is um, our high school, it, it ended. So I moved to across to the Big Smoke, across to Canberra, to a, um, a school called Darramullen College, which also had a lot of emphasis on the sport. So, yeah, I got into also on, alongside my academics, um, continued in the sporting arena, started playing team sports more, I guess, Um but yeah, which which then served uh, served me well in 
working in a team, I guess, as well as individual sporting uh, feats. Um, and and being in Canberra, um, it's quite a large population of um, defence and defence families. And my my father, who was an accountant, um, and very much like the idea of not having to pay for my university, strongly encouraged me to enrol in um, or uh, try out to get into the Australian Defence Force Academy, based in Canberra, which is um, Australia's military university um, where it basically trains young men and women to become officers in the Australian military, Air Force, Army and Navy. Um, So that's what I did when I turned 18. I got selected into the Army and at age 18 marched off um, into the military and started a long career in the military. So was it just because your dad told you or <laughs> there was it something appealing to oh, you as well? Look, I knew nothing about the military, to be honest. Um, it, it, I, I didn't grow up. Um, well, I grew up with a brother who was obsessed with Rambo and um, <laughs> commando <laughs> movies and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that was about my only exposure to the military. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure um, that was totally realistic, right? Well, I think that's where I got my ability to run because he used to chase me around the paddock uh, with, um, with his weapons, in inverted commas. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, got I fast quick. Pretty, yeah, I was his enemy and I was being hunted, so I learned how to run, yep, <laughs> pretty much. Um, so what's your specialty in the armed forces? I So for four years um, we, we were all uh, cadets, officer cadets and um I studied politics and history as um, my university degree. And then for the final year of, of training, we focus on infantry, uh, you know, tactics. We all get trained in the same manner, men and women, to be able to lead a group in, in war, I guess, in a war setting. But um, back when I was doing my training, females were limited to a number of um, corps, um, as in uh, body units and um, one of the things I was interested in was the intelligence field so I um, I managed to be selected to to enter into the intelligence corps uh, and that's where I spent my career um, as an intelligence officer in the army yeah so what did that role entail exactly um uh, well, uh, I guess many people have seen the James Bond films, I guess, and, uh, <laughs> well, it's not that sexy, to be fair, but it was, it, it, our role is to support the, uh, the battle, I guess, the, our, uh, the, support the commander in a, you know, a war, warlike environment, a war environment to, um, understand what the, the, enemy is is going to do and how we can position in order to you know have a the best outcome I guess um and yeah so I guess it's it it involved a lot of analysis a lot of understanding tactics understanding lots of technologies and how to utilize that in order to gain the advantage um and allow our guys the upper hand i guess and um yeah so we underwent a lot of training to be able to learn how to be uh, competent and useful in that in that environment um which i can't obviously go into too much detail about that um but yeah it's it's it was a, a supporting role for our combat guys um but often the intelligent is so critical in a in a setting, particularly a war, warlike setting, um, because without the knowledge, you don't know what your plan is going to be, and you obviously want to protect your people as much as possible too. So, commanders in a modern battlefield really relied on the intelligence picture to be able to, you know, do their jobs and yeah. So, what was that whole environment like? Like how just like talk to us a little bit about the how intense was it like what was the typical day like um well it depends very much on uh, the mission um if we yeah. were focused uh well i guess i can speak 
mainly from a, uh, I was posted to Iraq to support our combat guys um, in Iraq uh, in, back in 20, 2006, 2007. And uh, I guess we had long days of, we had to be on pretty much 24-7 in order to, yeah, to try and take the initiative um, or retain the initiative in order to keep our guys informed of what the battle space looked like and how quickly it was changing. So, yeah, the intensity is very high on on operations. So, And equally at home, we, we if we're not deployed and um, doing our roles, which we're trained for, we're training back home and, you know, up, updating skills and, keeping up with the technologies required and things like that. So, um, so yeah, very demanding. Remain, did you remain involved in sports of any kind during this time? Was that sort of an outlet for you? Uh, absolutely. Uh, being in the Army in particular, it's a requirement to pass the physical fitness standards. Um, and it, I guess having had a childhood where I, I was into sport, um, that carried through to the army and um, being a female in the military where during my sort of initial training, it, you know, I was one of you know, 7% of the army was female. So had a lot to prove as a girl and um, the one way in which I could always sort of uh, feel equal was by being pretty fit and keeping up with the guys in various fitness training and um, things like this. So, I, I, yeah, I prided yeah. myself on my fitness and worked really hard to attain the highest standards in the fitness testing. Um, I also became a fitness combat fitness leader during my t- time in the military, which just meant that I could run personal, uh, f- like the the physical training sessions for my unit. So yeah, I had a real passion for fitness, I guess, and keeping fit was important to me, in so that I could. I guess it was my own um, way in which I, I I compensated for not being a guy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that sounds a bit crazy, but I just felt like I didn't, I, you know, there was nothing that I couldn't really do that the guys could do, you know. so A place to prove was, yourself, sort of. Yeah, yeah, that, that constant having to prove that I was pulling my own weight, shall we say, yeah. And so where did your experiences take you from there? Um, well, I, I was posted all over Australia, um, had various opportunities abroad uh, to use my you know, skills, um, became a, a linguist as well in the military, a French linguist, so did a bit of work with the French military on exercise and you know training and things like this. But, yeah, I guess... The pinnacle for most people who join the military is to serve, uh, serve on a deployment and serve overseas, um, do the job that they've been trained to do in a in an operational environment. So I was super excited to deploy, to be honest, um, to Iraq and put what I'd learnt over the years to to um, in in real life, I guess. But yeah, I guess once you're on the ground and uh, you're living it it's a different thing altogether so and everyone reacts differently to combat situation um, and yeah I guess that's for me something that was quite a um, had a massive impact on my life um, that that time in Iraq so so you came back from your seven months service in Iraq and then that's when you first Start experiencing some yeah. PTSD, right? And you took a twelve-month leave from the army, and then you went on to pursue your masters at the yes, that's right. I am. Um, so, why did you feel like that to pursue your masters was the next thing to do? Ah, uh, yeah, I guess I felt. And by the, I'm studying at the end. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, um, it took yeah. me a while to get through my master's degree. Uh, you know, by distance. Um, but yeah. Love- Love Deakin. It was a great university to to do it mm-hmm. do it by and very supportive. But uh, yeah, I'd, um, I'd started my masters before I deployed to Iraq. Um, put it on hold whilst I was there, and yeah, I I, I didn't cope too well to be honest. Coming back from my deployment from Iraq, and it kind of started when I was over there. Um, things were 
my uh, I'd never experienced. I guess I guess I'd been um, experienced some kind of anxiety. I guess before people worry, but I came back with like heightened senses I guess I, I was jumping I'd become very um, anxious all the time I'd started having nightmares um, I my family I couldn't really relate they they thought I was just a different person my brother said so what's happened to your sis have you got post-traumatic stressors or something and it wasn't even I hadn't even thought about that because I had the screening coming out of Iraq with the psychologist and I sort of voiced some stuff but not too much. And I said, you know, I wasn't feeling too good. But they said, yeah, that's normal. You'll be fine. <laughs> and so and I knew I wasn't fine but I, yeah, I tried to, yeah, I thought, well, I need to get out of this environment, I need to get out of here before, you know, I didn't want to deal with it so yeah took took two years leave without pay from the military and completed my master's in international relations and I did that I'd, me- I'd met a boy in Iraq uh, he was, was serving with the British army and he sort of said hey come over to UK and hang out and do your master's and yeah we he we got engaged and um we're now married with two beautiful children but yeah I guess um he had a different experience in Iraq and he, yeah, he's he's seen me go through what I've been through and I'm just really lucky he's still here, I guess, because <laughs> he's living with someone with post-traumatic stress disorder and depression isn't easy, no way. Um, so, so, yeah, it's been a long, tough road, but we're getting there. We're getting there. But, and you um, also have some shared kind of experience, like he's, understands at least the basis of what you're going through yeah I guess he's um he's now well versed in in what it is what what post-traumatic stress disorder is what it looks like what are the symptoms I mean he's deployed a couple of times as well um and uh you know he's he's lost um people in his units um in a war zone and but you know do people cope differently? They their resilience, or obviously everyone's resilience levels are different, and it's based on a lot of things. And we're still doing a lot of research into it. But yeah, the good news is that you can always get through stuff. People can people. You know, we're we're quite amazing humans. We have the capacity to heal. And yeah, that's where I guess triathlon has come into it for me. Um, well, initially it was yeah. cycling. Talk a bit about how um, how you got into the cycling and, and what it meant for sort of your recovery and your path through this. Yeah, um, I so um, what happened? Yeah, I, I had a couple of children, um, and <laughs> <laughs> around that same time, I think um, you know, I put a lot of weight. Well, not a lot of weight on a mandatory standard amount of weight for for someone who you know grows a child I guess and but I'd lost all my fitness and um I had lost a lot of motivation and um when I was pregnant with my second child my father who who pretty much was my emotional mainstay during the time when I was in denial that there was something wrong with me he I think he always knew and he he was always very um sensitive and I just felt at ease when he, I was with him, I guess. He was like my soother. And um, I was pregnant with my second son and um, had an 18-month-old toddler and working full-time in the army. And, yeah, the doctors, I got called to go to the hospital where the doctors said, your, your father is terminally ill. He may see Christmas, which was less than six months from that point. He may not. So, yeah, that's when my world fell apart. I guess, and everything I'd sort of kept a lid on came flooding out in um, in a big way. So yeah, I lost, I lost, uh, I, I became very depressed. Um, my symptoms of post traumatic stress, uh, you know, amplified, which I hadn't really talked about with anyone. But the nightmares, the the anxiety, and I just didn't cope. I just started 
bawling my eyes out at work, run into the toilets. People just thought I was just a pregnant lady being a bit crazy with her hormones. Um, but I guess uh, at the end of the day, I, I identified it and I needed actual help because there was no there was no good days. It was just a con- constant, everything was just getting worse and worse. So, yeah, I guess it was that point where I was referred on to a psychiatrist and shared with him what I'd been trying to deal with, with for the previous six or so years before. And, um, yeah, and that's when I started to do the work to start to get better, which involved a lot of, uh, you know, talk therapy at the time because I was pregnant didn't want to go on medication even though that's what happened after um, I had to go on medication uh, for depression. And so, yeah, and it was also a time I couldn't really use sport and fitness to to um, to assuage my symptoms. So, yeah, it was a dark time in my life. My father died two months before, no, six weeks before my son was born, which was wow pretty devastating um but we called him david after my dad and and he's bizarrely he's got this exact same birthmark my father had on his stomach exactly the same size same spot it's um pretty amazing (laughs) and he's um got quite a few characteristics of my dad so in a way i feel like he's still here (laughs) through my son yeah so i mean yeah and so I was unwell. I was in deep grief once Dad died and, yeah, life was a bit of a mess. So my husband saw a, a bike ride advertised um, called The Cure for Cancer and this was about 12 months after my dad, short, just short of a year of David, the second boy's first birthday, and he said, maybe you should do that. And that's how I got into cycling. I, I did the Ride to Conquer Cancer. Um, it was a 200-kilometre ride over two days or three days. I can't quite remember. It was a while ago, um, which at the time seem, seemed like absolutely impossible. I really wasn't a cyclist. Um, had an old bike. and But, yeah, I got, I got into it and I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to honour my dad. I'm going to do this. Um, raised the money, raised um, about $5,000 towards the cancer council and um, completed the ride uh, a few months later so I was hooked after that yeah cycling was my meditation and my release and my my medicine at the time and so how did that how how did you work that out I mean you've got a lot going on you've got young kids your your husband's working you're going through all this stuff like just kind of what did that look like for your family yeah, I mean, my training wasn't intense. I guess it was maybe two hours a week. I was, or two or three hours a week. I was getting out on the bike, so it was manageable. And um, just, but it became critical after a while, where I realised how much it was helping me and my mental health. And then, yeah, so it was about a year after that. Oh, yeah, not not so long after that. Um, I saw something advertised on Facebook for veterans of the military. At that same time, I was being told you're, you're not no longer suitable to remain in the military due to mental health issues. Um, so that was another slap in the face, something I had to then sort of process and deal with. But this right, this opportunity to cycle in the Italian Dolomites came up. Um, so I tried out. I was by far the least competent cyclist but they saw that I had potential to heal and do a lot of um, growth I guess um, this that the opportunity would help me and yeah I guess I was super lucky to get chosen and over the preceding six months I had we had a coach um, Scott Sunderland the former professional cyclist for um team and a team sky director um so very lucky to have very good coach uh who taught me really how to ride the bike (laughs) and um from there yeah there was there was all go at that time the kids were getting a bit bigger and was able to you know get a babysitter from time to time to do a bit more training and yeah and so I got into the cycling in mid-2015, I 
raced in this, um, it was called the Trois Etapes with the soldier on team with Cadell Evans, um, was our professional on our team and, um, Hamish Blake, the comedian who everyone adores, obviously in Australia. Um, he's a, uh, one of our most famous Aussies. He, he also rode. He, he was not a cyclist whatsoever, but he just an amazing human. He just, um, did the training as well, followed the program and raced with us all and yeah, just smashed it. So we had a great time and it was more like, yes, the racing and the cycling in the Dolomites was absolutely incredible. It was tough, but it was incredible. But the camaraderie and the fun and the, and the banter was just like being back in the military and, um, sort of started to find myself again and realize that, that there is life outside of pain and grief so yeah that's yeah that was that experience even took part in the invictus games in toronto right uh, i hadn't heard of these games before but i looked them up and i thought it's such a great initiative so talk to us a little yeah. bit about that experience of yours before that yeah um, just um, quickly for our listeners that aren't aware so the invictus games are an international multi-sport event which was created by prince harry in which wounded, injured, and sick armed servicemen participate in various events. So I thought that was pretty cool. Does this happen every year? It has happened every year since uh, Prince Harry started it in London in 2016, I think. Mm-hmm. And no, you 2015. Went in 2017. Perhaps. I went in 2017 last year. Um, I got picked for the team, the Australian team for cycling, um, but swimming and also track. <laughs> So, a de- uh, I guess a deconstructed triathlon. Um, <laughs> All the components. So, yeah. I, so, I was um, racing the 1500 meter on track, then the 50 meters backstroke, freestyle, and breaststroke, and 100 meters free. And um, I also did the cycling criterium and time trial events. Um, so, I was pretty busy over the five days competing, but man, what an experience. It was amazing. Um, wearing the green and gold for Australia was like a dream for me. And you know, I hadn't envisaged it as being someone, um, as a, I guess, a veteran um, who was wounded in the line of duty. But oh my God, the people who were competing, the the support of you know Prince Harry and his beautiful fiance at the time, Meghan Markle, in the crowds there cheering everybody on, and and it was just the most incredible experience. And yeah, uh, like I said, I was competing in cycling, running and swimming. So I was doing a lot of training of uh, last year of the three sports. So I thought, you know what, I might gonna, I might, might as well try a triathlon because <laughs> um, I'd heard so, – and my husband, Paul, had been um, – had started doing triathlons on uh, half Ironmans. And I said, do you think I could do it? Do you think I could make the distance and training so much? And he sort of said, yeah, do it, try it, you know, what – the worst that can happen you don't finish um but yeah that's never been an option in my personality I guess it's my own regis (laughs) if I regis for something I'm gonna you know get my money's worth (laughs) um so yeah I I I registered my first half Ironman in um, Barcelona last year in 2017 in May um Invictus Games was in September so I knew I'd have time to recover before competing in the Invictus Games. So that's what I did. Yeah, and I loved it. Loved it. The the atmosphere, the the general vibe, it was just so uplifting. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'm hooked now. Um, <laughs> and you qualified for the World Championships that in it, <laughs> I did. I was did you race a bit cheeky. I did. I went along to uh, Chattanooga last year and raced in my in in my age group, and again, just an incredible experience. And yeah, now I've got the appetite and the hunger for it. So yeah, now that's you're going now my dream. Point. Yeah, my dream is now to make it to Kona one day. So that's that's my now my goal. That's my that's my next goal. But. I, I respect the sport. Uh, I've got to understand that it's, you know, it's a long journey and people, you know, you've got to commit a lot to it. And I'm in that thick of it at the moment. It's three weeks out from my first Ironman, full Ironman. So, yes, it's um, it's exciting. So talk a little bit about how you, uh, how do you work it all out? How do you, you've got a family, you know, 
relationship, marriage, kids? How does that all fit together for you? Because that's a big challenge in anybody's life. Yeah, it is. And it's a little bit challenging at the moment. Um, My husband is serving full-time, still in the Army. Got two small kids. Um, It's not easy. I can guarantee that. And, you know... We, we were working really hard on our on our marriage and and achieving both our goals. Um, Paul is my husband's qualified for the seventy point three world champs as well, so um, he's competing in South Africa this year. Um, so he's got his own training. So it's a bit of it's a lot of compromise and it's a lot of early mornings, late nights on the <laughs> on the trainer on the kicker. Um, and yeah, it it's it. But it's but it's an outlet for us both, and it's something that's united us as well. So, it's yeah, it, it is hard. We we drag the poor children along to the races, and uh, <laughs> um, they, they get put in the iron kids <laughs> and told to run. And uh, no, they, we don't ever make them do anything they don't want to do. But yeah, they. So we should they should have like a Sherpa training camp for kids. So by the time <laughs> teenagers, they're like uh, they know the whole drill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll know all the rules and um, what needs to go to the transition areas, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 kind of like our family thing now. So if we think of, uh, you know, we're going to go to on a holiday, maybe one of us will register for an event there, and we've got a Land Rover Defender with a Hannibal roof tent. So you know, that's... I saw that. That looks so cool. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it's a bit of a, an affordable way for the four of us to get around and um, have a bit of – the boys are, absolutely love it. They love camping. And, yeah, so it's 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 a way we can do it as a family and keep them interested as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I like to ask when people are, you know, because triathletes are coming from around the world, what is what is one of the best things and the worst things about training where you live right now? Uh, undoubtedly, my husband, we posted in France. Uh, it's all a bit of a, a joke, really. My husband was in the British Army. He transferred to the Australian Army and now is working in France for the Australian Army. <laughs> so um, we we found ourselves over here because of his role in, in the Army. He works with helicopters uh, as an engineer. And he... Um, so, yeah, we've been in the south of France, tough gig, I know, um, for the last 18 months. <laughs> uh, and the cycling is just, it's just incredible. Like I, I can't, um, it's so beautiful where we are um, and the this, this scenery and, you know, it's a national sport, cycling, Tour de France and everything like that. So I feel safe on the roads. Um, so, yeah, I very rarely find myself on my on my kicker on the, on the indoor trainer. If, I, if I've got a cycling session, I have to get out and just find a new place to explore. So that's the best thing I've found about this triathlon journey, the cycling in the south of France. The worst thing, um, uh, I, I don't know, I guess it's the balance, trying to balance being a mum and a wife and training for a, an endurance event it's it's a it's very tricky to balance it all and also you know make sure keeping healthy mentally as well and and not trying to overshoot anything you know not trying to put too much expectation on myself or or my husband or my kids you know you got to kind of keep it real and um yeah, yeah so that's always going to after going through everything that you have, does everything else, um, including triathlon, does it feel, uh, I don't want to say less important, but like, uh, are you able to put the little things into perspective a lot more easily now, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, just feel really lucky, feel really lucky that I've got my physical health. I'm able to to do what I can do um, as, I, as I'm getting older as well. And having done 18 years in the army, which is pretty hardcore on your body. Um, I'm just really grateful to have my health. So anytime I even complete a training session, I give myself a high five, you know, good work. <laughs> um, you've got to kind of remember it's about the journey as well, not necessarily just running across the finish line. Although I've been, you know, that in itself is an amazing feeling, the accomplishment of training for an event and then completing it and um, feeling that 
sense of achievement. But yeah, yeah, I guess life life is happening while we're sort of not noticing it. So we've got to try and make sure we are in the moment, in in the present moment, and appreciating it for what it is. Instead of, I think my biggest thing that I noticed um, I've had to work on, I guess, is being here and now because when I was deep in depression I was you know grieving what I'd lost and when I was deep in my anxiety stage I'd be worrying about what's going to happen next or what's going to happen in the future and neither of those times had served me so yeah it's a lot of training myself now to just be present and grateful for what's going on today. Well that's a great takeaway for all of us. Yeah. Yeah I was learning more about the intelligence score as well and watching some videos yesterday and in those they were saying that the people who usually like to look at the bigger picture or the whole picture join that uh, group so firstly are you like that as well and if so what does that look like when you're training for triathlon how do you translate that nature of yours into triathlon yeah you're right you've got to have a, a broad perspective of what, what's what you're looking at um especially you know in that role so maybe that's something I subconsciously developed during my time having a coach now I've, I've never had a real I've never had a coach personally um but I've uh, taken on a coach um who helps me understand the sport as a whole um not just the training it's also about the recovery and nutrition and keeping a perspective yeah a whole life balance as well otherwise it becomes an obsession and yeah so that that's been also very helpful having a coach to keep that perspective real and and broad yeah uh, I guess um, for me especially because I was a bit of like right I'm just gonna run myself ragged until but yeah I don't know I didn't really understand the way in which you can improve as an athlete by looking at the bigger picture uh, and that's where that professional sort of coaching has helped me yeah you touched Hello? on the camaraderie that um you experienced when you were cycling so and you know there must have been this amazing bond between everyone in the army as well so how does that relate to the community you see and experience in triathlon oh yeah absolutely um i've only done three <laughs> triathlons in the last oh. year or three uh, half Ironmans and it, each one I've made friends and like you know have now in touch you know and talking and exchanging you know tips and things like this and everyone's just so encouraging and it's just the most incredible thing to be a part of and that's what I've been missing I think since being out of the army is that camaraderie and that being belonging to something bigger um, and definitely find that triathlon and the triathlon community provides that. And I never used to listen to podcasts and I wasn't really on Instagram until I started triathlon and now like any spare time or when I'm training, um, I'd be listening to, you know, podcasts, learning about other people's story and what, you know, what they advise and things like this. So um, people are just so willing to share and that's what's that's what's really nice about it that's yeah you, you just kind of you feel a part of something really good and positive well I really like how you used your Instagram to bring a lot of awareness to the issues you've been talking about and um, so tell us a little bit about the ride you just did the cooey is that <laughs> am I saying it right yeah that's um, right cooey <laughs> um, and what the kind of theme of that was and and what your intent was with that yeah well um it basically was a a ride to raise awareness and some money towards supporting the ex-serving community um who there is a big problem of mental health um post-traumatic stress and depression and the rates of suicide in our ex-serving community not in uh, it's it's across the world now. Um, in America, it's particularly bad, um, the rates of suicide. Um, and, yeah, so I lost a, a friend I served with in November to suicide. He took his own life, two young kids. And, yeah, I, I felt I had to act. I felt like I had to do something because I had been there. I had been in that very dark place where 
the option of not being here anymore was appealing um and and I feel it's an obligation I have now that I need to share that it's possible to get through that it's possible to to push through the pain where you think there's no alternative um and so this is what the Kui ride was about Kui is a a thing that I, I look I don't know 100% if it's this is fact but um it's what the soldiers Australian soldiers and farmers use back in Australia to try and because distances are so great in Australia and we might be spread across a large area and you'd call out cooey to try and find out where your mates were and um so yeah the idea is to to yell out cooey anyone else hurting you know it's okay you're not alone and um so, yeah, that was the ride. My husband and I and another guy, Paul, my husband works with um, in the Australian Army. We ride, rode from where we live in south of France up to Alpe de Ways over three days. Um, and, yeah, just uh, a, a concurrently a, um, a farmer, Aussie farmer who was quite moved about the plight of the situation for veterans um, also did a ride um across australia so we we did it sort of in conjunction when i go back to australia at the end of this year i hope to do it with him and try and get hamish blake along and um cadell maybe and you know get a whole bunch of people who um anybody anyone who's interested or touched by um suicide mental health issues to get out on their bike and um you know call go go along with your mates and know that you're not alone um yeah, so that's that's the the passion and the the reason behind the Kui ride. What I did recently. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, well, I would definitely urge anybody listening to to check out your Instagram, the photos you've posted, and and just the statistics of how many people are lost for every person lost in battle. It's kind of surprising. Yeah, it and it's not really um, something that people think about or are aware of because. You know, there's a lot of war movies that celebrate war heroes. It's becoming more talked about, I guess, the fact that people bring a lot home um, and then what do you do with these people who are in so much pain and, and hurting from, you know, the mental wounds they've got and it's something that our governments really need to address because it's not getting better. It's, it's only getting worse. So... Uh, yeah, if I can raise some awareness about the the problem and you know get reach those who feel they're alone and there is no um, they've got no one to turn to, then yeah, I, I will I'll be always passionate about this. So yeah, yeah. So when you are having a sort of bad day or struggling with your mind outside of triathlon, is there anything else you do to find composure? Do you meditate at all? Or I think you're into yoga. Yes, I did my yoga teacher trainer as well as soon after my father died, but it was specifically um, a, a trauma-sensitive yoga um, I was interested in and I started teaching that to other veterans before we moved to France and it was just it was the results were compelling. People started to have less symptoms because they were learning how to be able to be in tune with their body. So the body does store a lot of the body stores trauma not just our minds so to be able to work through that trauma in our bodies you know in gentle movement and and things like this is also very uh, healing and and useful and you know obviously for triathletes doing a bit of stretching and yoga and mindfulness is always going to be beneficial um, physically as well yeah. Other than that, yeah, I think I think just my the cycling I find very meditative. Just being completely focused on the task is really, yeah, it's mindfulness. It's being present. So I, I keep going on about it to my friends. I want everyone because <laughs> it's just so amazing. Yeah, bikes like being a big kid again. Yeah, in yeah. a way. Exactly, and but yeah, it's. It's so freeing and what you see when you're out on the bike, it just, yeah, you can't replicate that. <laughs> so do you have little bikes for your kids yet? <laughs> we do, we do. So our plan next year is to um, move back to Australia near Canberra. We've got a property. My husband wants to set up mountain biking 
skills park so that you know That's people cool. from around the area can to bring out their bikes or hire a bike and get on their bike basically and um yeah i also like to get into a bit of coaching triathlon coaching one day as as i get older and yeah get the kids involved um if they want to never ever would put pressure on any anyone to or especially our kids to do something they didn't want to do but yeah hopefully they'll want to do it but yeah that's the plan i wanted to bring attention to a particular sentence you wrote in your email to me you said I have faced many battles in my life but none greater than with myself and I think that's just such a powerful statement coming from someone who's experienced real battle situations so could you just elaborate on that statement a little more Yeah um Well I guess it goes back to when I came out of Iraq and the fact that I knew there wasn't something there was something not right but I didn't want to admit it um and so it's this kind of and we're all probably guilty of it to a degree trying to soldier on without dealing with things that are bothering us um which be- can become bigger than ben hur for which it did for me which became like a, a it developed into mental illness so i didn't deal with my problem at the time because i was afraid of judgment you know all these things and Yeah, if I'd dealt with it back then, my life may have taken a different course, but at the same time I never regret anything because I've had to grow, I've had to come out of it. I've had to um work on my problems consciously and but having said that, I still uh, a pretty like, you know, friends tell me I'm pretty hard on myself because I have such high expectations now to to be able to do things and achieve things because you know we we sort of want the best for ourselves we want to realize our potential but it's the balance of knowing that you know you can't beat yourself up every day if you're not if you're not meeting what you think is expected and yeah having more realistic expectations of yourself is is, is critical as well so i guess that's what i meant by that i i guess i i firstly didn't look after myself um i didn't seek the help i needed at the start of it all and tried to deal with stuff that i wasn't c- capable of dealing with on my own and yeah and then from there i guess now is trying to keep it real and keep the perspective of training for events as a journey and completing the event as part of that journey and the continuum on the journey so so being kind to ourselves and not not getting too down in the dumps if mm-hmm. our goals aren't always met yeah it reminds me of this little saying that if you conquer the enemy within the enemy outside can do no harm so exactly, i think yeah. that would be one of my top takeaways from this at least mhm absolutely yeah we we need to be kind to ourselves and and realize that <laughs> we we need to nurture ourselves and that's where we're going to realize our full potential when we're kind to ourselves and we are our own best friend i guess yep yeah yeah that and that great reminder to be living in the moment mm-hmm. yeah that absolutely all right yeah. and as we wrap things up um are there any people you like to give a shout out to here um yeah well firstly my husband thank you so much for supporting me paul for for my new passion new found passion of triathlon and you guys thank you for reaching out um i really appreciate what you do as well at bringing sharing stories of amazing humans not just the pros who i adore as well i think that you know we need these um people who are at the top of their game to aspire to but hearing other stories of people who are out there is just great yeah and where can everyone find you online uh my instagram is i think it's sarah watson 78 <laughs> it's very original it's <laughs> just my is. name <laughs> turning 40 at the same time kona's on so uh-huh. you know dreams can come true maybe <laughs> <laughs> 40th anniversary um who knows yeah that's me you'll get there all right our last question why do you try to realize my potential and yeah it's just a wonderful sport to be involved in 
<laughs> sure is. All right, Sarah. It was a real pleasure having you on. Thank you for taking the time. Really yes, appreciate thank it. No worries. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much. I'm looking forward to listening. I, I, I'm going to listen to all your podcasts now in the <laughs> next few days. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, good You're on you really for doing amazing, what you do. Amazing guest. Yeah, we've had a lot of amazing guests. I keep being. Uh, I know, like. Just astounded by the stories. Exactly, and the crazy part is we haven't. We've just gone into like six, seven guests till now. So there's so many people yeah. out there. Oh no, you're gonna have you'll be inundated. I imagine with so many amazing people. Exactly. I mean, I'm like, oh, I know this person who'd be great for your story, <laughs> and like, like I said, I got a friend who who I was on a, a six week PTSD course in a mental hospital, and he literally was a a walking heart attack and he's just done his first Ironman this Whoa. year. Like he was oh, nearly 200 kilos and, yeah. Yeah, we have to get him on to so just send over the details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he was an army guy too and he, he saw way worse stuff than me. But, um, yeah, yeah, good guy. But, um, but thank you. For sure. Oh, this was great. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. No worries. Thank you. Awesome. All right. All right. Well, see you later, Sarah. We'll talk to you later. See you later. Have a good day. Maybe someday I'll come right across Australia. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes, you must. (laughs) All right. Okay. Bye. See you. Bye. Thanks a ton for listening, everyone. Head on over to our Instagram post at Humans of Triathlon and let us and Sarah know how you liked the episode. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and would mean so much to us if you could leave us a review in iTunes if you're liking these guest stories and interviews we've been bringing you. This week's hot podcast shout-out goes to Libby Dykes, a.k.a. at iron underscore tika on Instagram. For anyone that knows or follows Libby, you know that she's just this fun-loving, positive, and supportive person in the TriFam, and she just completed her first full Ironman at Boulder a couple weeks ago. She had a challenging day out there, but pushed through and crossed that finish line. And honestly, I had no doubt that she would. So big congrats on becoming an Ironman Libby. And thanks a lot for your iTunes review. Very much appreciate that. All right, everyone, we'll be back next week with another amazing guest and story. Hope you all have an amazing week. Until next time, keep trying. <laughs>